0: Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is the show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Astrid Sundberg. She is Director of Diversity and Inclusion for an organization called ORDER. Now, Astrid has a fascinating mixture within her background, both personally and also professionally, as she is British, half British, half Norwegian. She was born and raised in England and spent most of her life in the city of Birmingham where she went to university. She's had over two decades Decades worth of experience across the board when it comes to people and talent, working for both startup organizations and also larger, more global organizations in addition. She was the first female associate director at Beresford Blake Thomas in her earlier career and has spent many years since becoming more entrenched within the diversity, inclusion, belonging and equality movement and has appeared on multiple different channels when it comes to conferences, moderation work. She co-hosted the annual Oslo She Conference in addition, one of the largest events within the Nordics when it comes to gender equality. Welcome to the show, Astrid.
1: Oh, thanks, Leila. Thank you for having me here. It's It's an absolute pleasure to be here today, it really is.
0: I'm delighted to have you here and really delighted more so to hear uh, all about how you came to be where you are today because you had a really interesting cross-cultural experience both personally and professionally and I know that so much of this goes into the work that you do to this very day. So for our audience who knows a little bit less about you than I do, tell us how you came to be where you are personally and professionally, and then perhaps we can go into a little bit about some of the great work that you're doing at the moment at Order.
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you. I was raised in a little village in uh, in England, Norwegian mum and English dad, But I suppose I spent spent most of my life in the city of Birmingham, which is where I went to uni in 1993. Everyone who was into their clubbing went to to Birmingham in uh, in 1993. It was the best place to be. But I also went to study law and business, of course. And and then I I actually kicked off my career in the 1996 recruitment industry, where I became a manager in a successful global startup at uh, about 23 years old. And I was also put on a fast track program into into leadership. And then I think three years later, became the first female associate director at Beresford Blake Thomas. They were one of the sort of blitzscaling recruitment giant success stories of that era. And after becoming the first company sabbatical taker at the age of thirty, when I embarked on a round the world trip on my own, I actually returned to the same organisation as their UK and Ireland director of sales. And then you know a lot happened in that period. The company was later acquired by started in 2008, a time when I found myself responsible for making widespread redundancies actually and even facing redundancy myself when um, when I was heavily pregnant with my first child and as the Great Recession hit and, and you know so many companies stumbled on hard times didn't they Layla and, and and you know before you know it two years later I was a single mum and took the decision to relocate to Oslo Norway with my my three-year-old daughter. And then I've been here for the last ten years, really working within the scale up and startup climate, specialising in operational leadership, talent acquisition, employee experience, workplace culture, DEIB, classic HR generalist, you could say. And I think having frequently been the only person of my gender on the leadership teams I've been on, I've become a, a fervent supporter of um, of DEI with my belonging badge really falling into the area of gender equity and equality so it it felt quite natural to sort of shift gear and and transition into senior leadership roles within the HR space after these much more sort of commercially focused roles and and now I'm a director of diversity and inclusion at Oda you can say Oda or Oda it doesn't matter There's, there's all sorts of different pronunciations of it but we've been cited as the fastest growing company in Europe with the largest online grocery retailer in Norway We account for about 70% of all online grocery sales here and order have a conscious focus on, on sustainability. We became the first company in Norway to provide climate receipts to our customers for every grocery order, meaning that you can actually see what your climate footprint is like and it gives a really great nudge to customers to shop more sustainably. So in 2020, order grew by 100% in 2021, became the new unicorn in town, Norway's first unicorn in fact, and and we're a tech company and and, and warehouse fulfillment center sort of all wrapped into one, approaching a 1,000 employees across Norway, Germany and Finland. So my role is to work with the DI strategy here. The workplace foundations have been really well laid before I came here and as a result we attract a very multi-cul- uh, multicultural talent pipeline that's I guess it's something that's really happened from from changing the internal language to English here. And I think that one of the reasons that it felt so natural for me to gravitate into this area, it, it really is the lived experience. I, I, I have absolutely put up with a lot of unacceptable behaviour during my career, you know, microaggressions, sexual harassment, exclusion, unfair pay, parental discrimination. So it's that lived experience that 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 makes me an advocate, I suppose, for this area really.
0: Wow, what a whistle stop for, Alfred. and I have even more profound respect for what you do. Knowing about all of those different step changes in your career, in particular the being a single parent piece, moving to another country, being so incredibly ambitious. As you know, I come from the world of talent and executive search, and it is one of those roles where, unless you've been in it, it's rather difficult to understand because you rarely, rarely switch off as is. <laughs> Mm. kind of doesn't get quite enough credit for being a bit of a 24-hour reputation type organization but to then be a single parent and to move across into another country as well is is challenging at best or to do one of those facets challenging at best I should say mm. that said I'm sure the experiences and the learnings were incredibly rich and knowing a little about some of the the cultural aspects in places like Norway and Sweden and our countries formatively in the EU actually I'm sure the the capability and the cultural understanding that you now can impart into every aspect of odour and the belonging work that you do is is tremendous and I wonder whether you might be able to talk to us perhaps a little more about some of the the work that you're doing within the organisation. I know that you are passionate about the gender equality side, but equally gender discrimination, you know, awareness around privilege. Also adding in onto that mental health and well-being, which has been a huge Mm. topic of conversation given the last couple of years that we have been through. And the technology industry led on top is one that we almost naturally presume is much further ahead of our other industries so I'm sure there's the pressures and the demands to be able to keep up with that side of things and continue being a leader in that area
1: I always I always feel the need when it comes to a question like this to sort of really acknowledge that despite my lived experiences I am so aware of the, the the huge level of privilege that that I carry as a as a white woman. And, and even though uh, I have lived experience of gender discrimination, there are so many facets of of discrimination that I have not and never will experience as a result of this privilege of, of being in a in a majority group. And you know, just despite my lived experience, I think this privilege awareness for me is it's a reality check. And it's it's a guiding light for reminding myself, you know, when to talk and, and oftentimes when to shut up and, and just listen. And also, my my voice can't just represent people like me who are whites, cis, able-bodied, you know, neurotypical people who conform to a binary gender. It's 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 about embracing an intersectional mindset and working, I suppose, continuously you know, unpacking uh, structural uh, structural oppression and, and and how internalized white supremacy works and this sort of ever-evolving approach to DEI, which is so important because there's so much to learn. But I also think, and this is something I say a lot, it's not just about the learning, it's about the unlearning too, isn't it? It's about unlearning so many of the things that we've been taught, so many of the biases that we have. And one thing that I think is I suppose alarming and I regret to say maybe all too prevalent here in Norway, is that there's not enough focus on intersectional diversity and inclusion. And DI initiatives, they really tend to default to sort of binary gender initiatives. And there's a lot of research and discussion around the fact that these initiatives tend to benefit one type of woman and 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 it tends to be white native Norwegian women so you know it's 2022 and we, we really need to champion more campaigns and initiatives in Norway that have a, a much more stronger intersectional focus we need to see far more happening on racial equity and and, and sort of really move the needle around an openness and I suppose a, a willingness to have the uncomfortable conversations that need to be had around racism, just as problematic here as it is everywhere else, by the way, Leila.
0: Well, I appreciate how candid you've been. And ultimately, I echo so many of your thoughts. And that is intersectionality is one of my favourite topics of conversation, as you probably know already, is there are so many visible diversities. but There's also so many hidden diversities. I know you've mentioned previously that... You know, especially within you know the era in which we grew grew up and, and and in some aspects now actually there is this shame around admitting to stress, depression, mental health, so on and so forth. Those many invisible diversities that, unless we ask the questions, are ultimately hidden below the surface, much is true for myself. It has been for, for for many, many years. And but ultimately, there is also then the piece that says. Well, I was, you know, I was adopted, therefore, um, I have white British parents, there is an element there, when it comes to having certain aspects of privilege, i.e. I was able to get an education. And so being comfortable enough to face into these often uncomfortable conversations, as you just had there, I think is so critically important. And you mention this evolutionary process. It is an evolution. I think, you know, stereotypically when we've talked about things like privileged, people immediately go, ooh goodness, privilege, and we go into the defensive mode. Actually, mm-hmm. this is nearly a scale. Everything is a scale. Everything mm-hmm. in the ecosystem is an evolution. You've mentioned in your descriptors there that there are different aspects of, of culture, parenthood and caring responsibilities, mental health and wellness, you know, certain aspects of privilege. We cannot get to where we need to be without looking at the intersects of many of these different areas. You and I are both mm-hmm. female. You know, we both have things in common, yet we also have differences and it's simply understanding that the equity uh, that sits behind that so that we can then enable putting different amounts of resources behind all these various diversities and I wonder whether this would be a perfect segue into talking a little bit more about some of the work that you've done when it comes to other generations of, of, of leaders and even some of the, the immigrant population that you talked about in some of our earlier conversations. So I think all of these aspects, especially given what is going on in the world right now, become more critically important and different leaps mm. of parenthood as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm very involved with some of the community groups here in uh, in Norway. You know, they are, in my opinion, you know, the the, the change makers and the, and the trailblazers, sort of really working to support. People who are underrepresented, and some of the companies I support—Herspace, um, Diversify, Sejo, uh, Women in Technology, Oslo—they're they're all nonprofit organizations, and and they're so committed to doing the work to support people from historically minoritized groups, whether it be supporting skilled job seekers, setting up mentorship programs, just spreading awareness on how systemic disadvantage manifests for people from underrepresented groups. And you know, Norway may be this very happy and and prosperous land with a great standard of living. It de- was definitely one of the reasons that I was attracted to moving here as a, as a single mum. And and you know the maternity care here is, is second to none. We're very very focused on on work life balance and connecting with nature and uh, and all of those sorts of wonderful things. But racism, sexism, xenophobia, homophobia. It's here, and it's just as problematic here as, as as it as it is in other countries as well. So uh, yeah, I I hope that answers the question, Leila.
0: It absolutely does. And there's so many big subjects there that we could dive straight into. And if I may, just because I I, I know this has been something that's affected you personally and much the same as I did. I think you look back on life and career and you realise serendipitously that you've ended up in something that has reflected many of your personal experiences, i.e., I felt at times, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm a bit different here or I look a bit different. In my case, it was being one of only two Chinese children in school. And I think when I look back, whilst I'm actually so glad for many of the steps that life and career took, actually, it was that sense of not feeling that I belonged in a sense that has probably driven a lot of my decision making process and come out in the branches and the leaves of the work that I do. Mm. Now, I know that back when you were in kind of, uh, you know, in some of your early years, you perhaps felt a little bit different. You had, you know, what I I believe you've described as bohemian parents (laughs) back in the day. I'd love to learn a little bit more about some of your, your thoughts around how we we can really we can drive organizational feelings of belonging because that's such a a critical piece in this world and the tech world as you mentioned before it's so fast paced it moves so quickly we're having now to to show up and to you know the younger generations are expecting us to to show up as our authentic selves as leaders it's an unusual juxtaposition place to to be in, in in society and in business so I wonder whether you could could talk a little bit around some of these early early influences and again how this has impacted some of your present work at Oda.
1: Mm, yeah I suppose that I was a little bit conscious of being different when I was younger but that was partly there were no other Astrid's in my vi- I don't think I ever met another Astrid in uh, in my whole time of living in England it's a super common name in Norway by the way and and um and, you know, I, I had a, a mum who was uh, foreign and, you know, mum was sort of always wore these very elaborate sort of Patagonian ponchos and, you know, spoke with a dialect and, and often spoke to us in Norwegian. So I, I was aware of differences or kids' asking me or oh, what language does your mum speak and and not only that but I had a name you know different name like Astrid and, and I was also I was really tall I was about five foot eight at 13 or 14 so I stood out like a sore thumb and 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 I I hated that because I got I got teased for that. You know I was just towering over all the boys and the girls in my class. But I, I think that the 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 balance there for me was you know my, my parents were with foster parents, mum was a, a key worker for adults with severe learning disabilities. So our our family home was a sort of safe place for, for the many different children and, and often children with disabilities who who saw my mum my and, and, and my dad as their carers and, and bonus parents. And I think that the energy that my parents put into community work and volunteering, whether it be the, the art classes they ran at the local youth club or for many years, they did music classes for adults with learning disabilities. It's, it's definitely been a source of inspiration in, in helping me understand, you know, privilege, the importance of belonging, just all these layers of of, um, of differences that people have, and I think that you know, one of the reasons. <clears throat> Inclusion in my career became so important to me, was 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 really magnified by this experience of gender discrimination and and being raised on a leadership philosophy that was, it was very alpha male in the 1990s. You know, it really went against my natural instincts. I think, Layla, I was, you know, being told how to act. You know, be more like a a guy and 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 you know, business comes first. And I honestly can tell you that that sort of you start to accept the status quo rather than challenge it after a while when it when it's that rampant and and for a while I I, I'm ashamed to say that I I think there was a point in my career where I just went along with it I didn't do anything to help myself or future generations I just thought this is how it is and the second sort of side of that coin I suppose after inclusion is the the belonging side that I think to some extent You know, it might have looked like I was a high flyer or um, an overachiever, but I I wasn't. I was confused. I was a a shriveling mess beneath the shiny surface. I was, you know, suffering from crippling self-doubt. I was constantly being introduced as the sort of token woman and also constantly being told how lucky I was to be there. You're very lucky to be in these circles in this group. You know, haven't you done well for yourself? Or haven't we done well to let you into these circles? And I think that probably, I don't know, I think I carry a lot of guilt for all the times I I didn't stand up for things. I feel like, God, was I an, an, an enabler, you know, back then. So I, I, I can't sit here and say I've always shown the best version of allyship I should have done. But but I recognize where I've had shortcomings in the past. And I'm sort of still trying to process that to this day, I suppose,
0: much of what you said resonates personally and what's really interesting when I'm hearing you speak is is there's almost a little bit of justification there I hear it very much in myself now I'm not saying that this is just purely a female thing but I see it so frequently is the almost apologetic nature for being a certain way when actually you hear that externally you think oh my goodness what you have been through and the experiences that you you have had they are just so incredibly commendable I have to jump back to the Patagonian ponchos as well <laughs> how fabulous are the sound of Patagonian ponchos and as soon as we come off our podcast I'll be googling that <laughs> but it's interesting the discussion around what's on the surface again which seems to be a bit of a common golden thread throughout this podcast is is what we see on the surface versus how we feel below the surface and in in similarity but again contradiction to you I remember being in early days, you know, being small child in class and asking mum and dad to stretch me out so that <laughs> I could become taller. I thought, wow, and my mum, given that, well, my brother and I were both adopted by amazing white British parents, Both of my parents are gloriously, beautifully tall, near on six foot. And I always wished, I wish I could be like that. Stretch me, stretch me, make me taller. (laughs) Instead of being always either the smallest or the second smallest in the class. So it's a classic, isn't it? We look back and we think, hey, you know, we want what we can't have. And I'm quite sure that many, many people, not just women, many others harbour these feelings of, well, is it just me? Is it others? Et cetera. You know, you then go on to talk about kind of some of these, these just beautiful family experiences and how actually, whilst you modestly will say, hey, I could have been a better ally, we all always think we could have been better classic, classic thing that I hear from so many women as well. It's actually, you know, there's so many things that have been done, so many things. Why feel that guilt? But Again, I can't take my own advice, Astrid, because I am exactly the same. (laughs) I always think, oh my goodness, can I, should I have done enough, etc. But how that then plays out into the workforce, given the fact that We live in a world where so many feel the need to belong at work otherwise they consider going elsewhere in a great recession or or the great retention as I prefer to call it is is such a a tangible skill required in today's modern workforce. You think actually there is a huge huge correlation and relevance to being open about these personal experiences and then ensuring that, that that we utilize that wherever appropriate and when we feel comfortable of course because it is also can be for some emotionally taxing speaking about challenging events and bring those into into the workplace
1: yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's, it's it, it, <laughs> a that the size parallels are quite interesting. Layla, you <laughs> wanted to be taller, and I wanted to be shrunk and and smaller. But you know, I, I, uh, I agree with that. And you know, I, I think that it's, it's sort of sometimes these these experiences are also what give us strength, and they give us these "carpe diem" moments. Right? I definitely think that you know it's, it's 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 quite interesting how I ended up in Norway because as well as the fact that we were in a global financial crisis I I'd, I'd had two quite traumatic experiences one was workplace sexual harassment in a in an organization where I just did not feel comfortable staying there or formalizing a complaint and and I empathize so much with anyone in that situation and have nothing but admiration for, for, for people who report it but Additionally, I'd had a health scare. It was a uh, sudden skin cancer spreading melanoma being discovered, which which I uh, I had to undergo a, a nail biting series of tests to find out if the, the cancer had spread. And, and there are worse types of uh, cancer than this, by the way, but it was unusual in a woman of my age. So I, I got to breathe a heavy sigh of relief when I found out that it hadn't spread. But these combined experiences gave me this impetus, I think, to, to, to do something, you know, really, really, really brave and, and start a new career and, and, and move to Norway with a three-year-old daughter and, you know, somehow gave a motivation to start fresh. So I really love this idea that we can kind of turn our traumas and our dark moments into something ultimately so much more positive.
0: Well thank you so much for sharing and again uh, I love the fact that you're saying and there are worse cancers than this (laughs) yeah. It's it's the modesty and the, the, the way that we want to justify some of these things but had I have not asked the question, none of these things would ever have been known. And we also mm. think about, I know we have the, the, the height continuum between you and I, mm. but this world, isn't it interesting that in this world, you'd never know what height either mm. of us are from looking yeah. on the screen or from, from how... Mm from how we may just be then listening to, to the podcast there. But again, a super brave moment clearly for you when it came to your personal and your career and, and a reset moment to then mm-hmm. take stock and to utilise that as power and strength and to champion it mm-hmm. as opposed to shrinking behind that. I think, mm-hmm. you know, this is just absolute gold dust. Is so many challenges that people have in lives, in work, at home can be turned around and turned into these Mm -hmm. incredible successes that now we, we talk about openly, and they make and form a huge part of us. So thank you ever so much indeed for sharing. And perfect bridge into me asking, which we've almost proven over the last 10 minutes, is what diversity inclusion means to you personally? Because it means so many different things to different people.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's just a continuous learning journey, isn't it? I think it's sort of being humble enough to to listen. It's having the vulnerability to share your story, to be non-judgmental. And I, I think having the skill of listening is so important. I think people need to feel heard and, and understood. And, and that is probably one of the most important skills. And and I, I keep coming back to this privilege awareness as well and understanding how how you can use your power to show up in terms of allyship and and in terms of advocacy. And I think that it's it's also for me this this piece around well-being and mental health and, and how we enable people to show up, I think. You know, for anyone that's experienced working in a toxic workplace, like like I certainly have, comparing the two experiences of being somewhere where there is no trust, where where you don't feel you belong, where there's a lot of fear, and then experiencing the reverse of that, where there's full trust, where you feel that you can just speak your truth and 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 be you. I mean, that's all part of what a diverse and inclusive workplace is to me, Leila.
0: Speaking your truth is so much easier said than done and such a critical point there. Now before we run out of time, I'd love to ask a couple of little lightning round questions. I'm gonna give you 30 seconds to answer you. Starting with the hardest one first, actually. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and that is how what, what is your secret to success oh, or gosh. is there one?
1: Yeah, I, I think like I, I'm a worrier. I've suffered from anxiety for much of my life, but I, I think I have to say uh, honestly, Leila, it's it's uh, humility and humour has been really important in getting me through some of the darkest times. In fact, I think it's saved me. And we have to be able to laugh at ourselves, don't we? It's 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 just so healing and it's so grounding. And I think the maybe it's the Britishness in me that gives this sort of very self-deprecating side to things where you can suppress your ego and and look at the learning and and move on and and try to see the funny side of your Docker moments in life. And I I think this outlook can go a long way in letting us wear our mistakes like a badge of honor. You know, humor makes us more accepting of mistakes, doesn't it? And so I think normalizing failure in this slightly sort of self-deprecating way, I think it helps others to feel okay. And I I think we show complete vulnerability about mistakes in this way. We we tell the stories, we can laugh at the bad bits if it's relevant to do so. And I just think there's a a real strength in that. And I I definitely think it's something that's guided me, really, in the many difficult times I've encountered.
0: Sense of humour is like the universal language, isn't it? Yeah. It breaks down so many barriers. And... Another question, I wonder if, if you could go back in time and speak to the younger Astrid, much younger Astrid, what might you say to yourself or indeed someone who is going through or about to go through similar circumstances as you did?
1: Oh, goodness, that's a, a really, really good question. If the 48 year old me were to go back to the I don't know, the younger me, the 15 year old, shall we say, I I would definitely tell myself to or encourage myself to learn more about the great women of history, to read more books written by women and especially books written by Indigenous women and women of colour. You know, the only book I ever had in my GCSE English, GCS English was The Color Purple, Alice Walker an incredible book but other than that it was all Shakespeare and D.H. Lawrence and, and Laurie Lee and, and you know I would have advised myself to learn more about the things that history classes never taught me because all I learned was about the sort of great white men of history the same narrative that gives us a sort of very distorted outlook and, and, and internalizes a lot of beliefs around whiteness being more superior so I, I, would, I would definitely force myself to do that and I think I I would probably also challenge myself into remembering that looks will fade and that you know our uh, our looks will fade we need to stop shrinking ourselves into these skinny Euro trend centric beauty standards and 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 celebrate our bodies no matter what shape size or or skin color I think those are the those are the two things I'd love to go back and say to the teenage me in a really nice way (laughs) with a few jokes cracked at the same time
0: (laughs) You say them to the younger me
1: as well, Astrid, because that is wonderful. And
0: again, this is another... I've I, I had to, throughout this podcast, it's been brilliant, is hold myself from starting to, to dive straight in and talk about a whole other subject, because that's like another podcast in and to itself, is, is beauty standards, is what is the definition of what is beautiful? What is the definition of what success is? For so long, we've seen these cookie cutter models these systemic ways in which we we should be aspiring towards when actually celebrating these beautiful differences and championing those differences is really what we ought to be doing but what a wonderful way to end the podcast there's been so many rich learnings there and I dare say I will probably miss many hours I try and, and summarize from today but some of the things that really did stand out for me the candid nature in which she came to the party. I think this is so critical. Being open and being candid and sharing what can be really quite traumatic experiences, it's far easier said than it is done because there is the reliving with a view and a purpose this is to help and support others and it's it's always a brave thing to do so thank you for that gender discrimination and speaking out we have covered i think that is exceptionally important if you are suffering if you are feeling in a challenging place at the moment please do not be a stranger and make sure you reach out uh, to one of the team or i or to astrid inclusion and belonging the differences below at the surface versus what we see that is something that i truly believe many many people suffer with and, and try and hold many of those feelings behind a glossy fascia or facade that that, that we are putting up there. Speak to someone. If you are in a, a trusting environment with your team, Things like this can make all of the difference when it comes to fostering that sense of belonging that you have talked about so well, Astrid. And then privilege awareness. What, what a brilliant subject. I think we proved very much throughout the, in the course of the podcast is that privilege is something that we ought to be talking about. It's not, nothing that we need to be defensive of. Everyone has a scale. There is this evolutionary scale of what privilege is. Whilst we may not be able to fully ever understand the views of another who who. Are, from a different race or a different sex or have parenthood challenges or not, as the case may be, or have chosen not to have children, which and whatever it may be from that holistic diversity spectrum, actually what we can do is we can empathize you mentioned throughout the podcast the reality checks when to talk when to listen when to be able to really deeply understand and unpack some of those structural oppression pieces and and all of that i think folds into how we are able to constantly learn develop and grow within ourselves as leaders and as as better human beings as 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 well you know by by checking ourselves and making sure we utilize all of those rich learnings those listening skills to be able to benefit our teams and respective future generations because being allies doesn't stop purely with white males as as, as some may presume actually mm-hmm. being allies is across those board of those different diversity dimensions mm-hmm. ultimately so and then finally the humility the vulnerability the the sense of humor I, I love the sense of humor piece that is absolutely the universal language and it breaks down so many barriers i think it's Definitely, I share with you that that sense of awkward British humour and self-deprecating <laughs> almost <laughs> a which I, uh, I I see it a lot of my parents, and and I I think as I get older. Hmm definitely turning into that it's nurture not nature i often feel so astrid thank you ever so much
1: thank you leila thanks for the opportunity to come and talk to you and, and and best of luck with everything you do really really enjoy following your work it's 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 so inspiring and um keep up all the amazing work that you're doing thank you
0: Oh, mutual love and respect right back at you. <laughs> My name is Leila mackenzie dellis founder and CEO of Dial Global. You're listening to the Diverse and Inclusive Leaders Podcast with the fabulous Astrid Sundberg, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at ODA. If you've been affected by any of today's issues, make sure you reach out and don't be a stranger. If you've missed any of the key learning points, do not worry at all because we'll put all of them into the show notes at the end of today's show. You can also check in with us if you would like to consume the content in a different way. For accessibility purposes in the meantime visit us in the dark global network app it's in the app store or directly at www.darglobal.org forward slash podcast see you again very soon